Thanks for tuning in to Walking by Faith. I pray that today's message will empower you to use your voice, help change the way you think, and refresh your spirit. Did you know that over 40 million adults suffer from anxiety disorders? If you're one of those people, there is help for you. Today, Pastor Daniel is going to be teaching us what the Bible says about fear and how we can overcome it. Let's jump right into today's message, How to Deal with Anxiety. I want to talk about fear, anxiety, and worry. Um, these, these are massive issues, but they're massive issues that are often trivialized. I think it's really timely. A bunch of people this next week are going to try to scare themselves um, just because it's that time of year. But the Bible has a lot to say about fear, and it's something in our culture that we don't often recognize. Like we recognize it as a kid issue. We look and we see this like, hey, um, my kids are afraid of the dark or a kid won't run across the basement in the dark. or They don't want to go to bed because of something that they're afraid of. But as we get older, sometimes we minimize and we divide up fear into different boxes and then ignore all the boxes. Like we got these extreme cases where the fear is affecting them so much that they are hospitalized, where they feel like they're having a heart attack. And they call it a, a anxiety or panic attack. And then you look over here and you're like, okay, this guy's just a warrior. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And we, we often divide it up and don't hardly acknowledge it unless we're in the hospital. But it's a huge issue. Uh, statistics say that 18% of, of U.S. adults deal with some sort of anxiety disorder. It says over a third will deal with an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. And then the researcher said, but we think these numbers are bogus. Well, that's kind of shocking to insult your own numbers. But they said, most people who are dealing with fear aren't recorded because most people refuse to get help unless it manifests itself physically and like takes them to the hospital. The amount of people who are struggling or who are living being influenced or controlled by anxiety, worry, and fear is just huge. And it's, it's huge and it can seem like the simple thing, but fear's function is to stop you. And, and that can be good if you're like, should I try a backflip over concrete? Like, well, have you done it over sand? Like, have you learned how to do this? Well, no then fear for you might be a good thing. Like, don't, don't go cracking your head open. But when fear is in the wrong place, all of a sudden fear stops you from stepping into what God's called you to do. Fear cripples you in your relationship. Fear stops you from stepping to the promotion. Fear can lay a hold of you and rob you of sleep, rob you of peace and wreak havoc in your life. And the Bible has so much to say. In the ESV, fear not comes up 327 times and do not be afraid comes up 186 times. This comes up over and over and over. And when I, when I look at this, I'm like, well, well how common? And, and it says that fear can make you a slave. And as I got looking at this, I said, well, why do we struggle with this so much? And I think that there's a universal principle. It's not an issue just in churches that I would call one size fits all. And when we have that approach, 
um, it, it messes with our thinking. It makes it really hard for people to get free. And this is what that looks like practically. Um, how many of you guys have ever had a problem where your car wouldn't start? The rest of you are blessed. Okay, so um, when this happens, if you tell your friend, they'll probably tell you what your problem is. And they will probably tell you whatever issue they had most recently. And so that might mean, you know, you're like, hey, my car won't start. And they're like, dude, it's your battery. Obviously. And the other guy's like, no, no, no. The reason your battery's got issues is because your alternator's out. Stinks. It's way more expensive too. And then the guy's like, no, no, it's cheap, man. You just got to check your fuses. And someone else's like, no, man, it's your starter. And, and, and you go through going, well, who's right? One of them, maybe multiple of them. But the problem isn't that they want to suggest the one that they're most familiar with. The problem is when we reduce all of the different issues to the one. And we go, the only thing that causes your car not to start is your battery. Well, that leaves a whole bunch of people in a pickle because they change the battery and still things aren't working. Or in your life, when you're dealing with fear, and people are like, all fear is X. That works for group X. But there's more than one source of fear. So this morning, I want to look at three root systems of fear. Because fear is not God's plan for you. Fear, anxiety, and worry is not what he has and not what he wants you to live in. So we're going to look at the physical, we're going to look at the mental, and we're going to look at the spiritual. Because these all affect us and they can rob us on a great level. I know God put this on my heart. And then a day or two later, we're hanging out and we see somebody from church that I haven't got a chance to talk to in a while. And so I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And she starts going through. She's like, oh, things are pretty good, except I'm struggling with fear and anxiety. Which... It was really cool because God was working, but normally people don't walk up and they're like, hi, you know what I'm doing? I'm struggling with this. Like that's not, that's not normally the way conversations flow. But it was cool because God was working on this message already. It was written on two sticky notes on my desk. And she, as I had this conversation, I said, you know what? God's got something for you. This topic is written out on two sticky notes on my desk right now. And she's like, what? And we started walking through some of this. But she's a nurse and deals with people in traumatic times. And she had picked up much of their anxiety over, over stuff. And she was so struggling, she didn't know if she'd be able to stay working where she was. And then when she talked to some of the other, other people on her floor, discovered that this was common and that most everybody on her floor was struggling and begin to realize just how wide this issue is. So, as I said, people tend to want to tell you about the one that affected them most. So we're going to look at spirit, soul, and body, but we're going to do it backwards because the spirit's the one that affected me the most, and I want to talk about last. So we're going to start here with the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Cast down arguments and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There's a battlefield 
that rages in between your ears. In this spot can be um, one of the spots, one of the root causes of dealing with fear. Now, the life tells you lots of things, but when you focus on something, that something will produce fruit in your life. That fruit can be a desire. That fruit can be a feeling. If I just start talking about cookies, a bunch of you guys are going to get hungry because that thought, that meditation will produce something in you. In fact, your bodies will begin to salivate if we talk about desserts long enough. You will physically have a reaction to the thoughts that you're thinking. If we spend our time focused on all of the negative possibilities, all of the problems of life, the fruit of that focus is worry, anxiety, and fear. And a lot of times people want to disconnect it and they go, well, that's just my, like, that's just what my circumstances are. And they try to separate and go, how could you not just think about this? And this is just automatic. But life speaks to you and you get to decide where you focus. But when you focus, it produces something. In First uh, Kings chapter 19, or 18 into 19, Elijah is the prophet in Israel. And God is moving in him, and he has a wind streak that is phenomenal. He comes through, and he said it wouldn't rain for three, for, until he said, and it hasn't rained for three years. He comes out of hiding, calls the people together, and says, let's see who's God. And they've been worshiping Baal. He says, all these prophets of Baal, let's have a, um, a contest. We'll each build an uh, altar, put an ox on it, and we'll see which God answers by fire. The one who answers by fire is God. And all the people were like, this is cool. This is going to be fire from heaven. Woohoo! And so they're all watching. The, the prophets of Baal go first. They pray for hours. Nothing happens. He prays. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, consumes the water that he had put on the altar. Like, just blows everybody away. They execute the prophets of Baal. He goes and tells the king, he says, hey, it's going to rain. You better race back to, to the, the capital. And he's like, it hasn't rained in years. He goes up, he prays, cloud comes, rain's coming. Like this is like miracle after miracle. He is on a high. And then he outruns the king's horses all the way back to, the, to town. This is like 18 miles outrunning the king's horses. That's not normal. Okay, so just, I just want you to picture he is in a place of great wind. But when the king's wife hears about what happened and how he got rid of the prophets of Baal, she sends a message and says, may God do to me and evermore if I don't make you like one of those prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow. Uh, chapter 19, verse 3, uh, from the New King James. And when he saw that, he got a report. He got a promise from life. And he saw it. See, we don't realize that what we listen to, what we hear, what we let sit in here, we see. And, and that can, be, can mean the doctor gave you a report and goes, here's your future or lack thereof. It can mean 
They tell you, hey, we're going to downsize the companies and people are going to get laid off. And you go, oh no, and you see it. It can be in relationships. It can be over your kids and over their future. Life gives so many different reports. And it can be just a bad grade on someone's report card. And the devil comes and goes, you know what their future is going to be? And he takes these different things in our circumstances and goes, can I paint you a picture and can you hold on to it? Because if you'll hold on to this negative picture, it's going to produce faith for you in the negative. And you're going to respond bound by fear and anxiety and worry for as long as you'll meditate on this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. It's when you take a promise and you believe it before you receive it. Fear is the evidence of things unseen. It is when you hold on to a promise in the negative case, in the negative possibility, and believe it, and it becomes real to you even before anything physical or even if anything physical has not happened. And we get so many negative promises in life, but it doesn't have to be what controls us in 1 Samuel 17, the story plays out a little bit different. See, in, in, if you've anyone ever heard of David and Goliath, if, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard of David and Goliath. If you didn't grow up in church, you've still probably heard of some kind of reference to a David and Goliath. You might only know if there's a big guy and a little guy, but that's okay. In this story, there's, a, there's two armies and the, the Philistine army has a giant. When I say a giant, he was six cubits and a span. And for those who don't measure things in cubits and spans, um, this is a cubit, that is a span. Roughly nine foot, nine inches. That's a big dude. If he stands on his tiptoes, he hits his head on the basketball rim. Like, this is a big guy. And when he comes out and challenges the Israelites, he begins to make a promise. He says, hey, send me a man that he may fight with me. And if I, if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, all of you will be our slaves. And when he says that, he painted a picture and the Israelites were terrified. And, and reasonably so. It's not like today, if the people go out there with guns, the fact that somebody weighs more doesn't make a big difference. But when you're going to have a sword fight and the other guy is twice your size, it's a problem. So they were petrified. Except, except one. And, and, and you're like, it's David. I know this story. Yeah, it's, it's David. But why is it David? Because David was not the likely pick. If you were to pick and go, who's going to be the one to fight the giant? Logically, you would pick King Saul. Because if you read a little bit further back, you read that he's a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So you're like, I don't know how tall everybody else was, but he was bigger he was stronger. He had better equipment. He had better weapons than anybody else. And his response was, if somebody will fight him, I will pay them. No, no, no takers. They'll be tax-free. They and their family will be tax-free. And they can marry my daughter. 40 days. No one's taken him up on the offer. And David shows up and he goes, What? What'll be done for the man who takes this reproach away from Israel? And in and, and Saul's response, Saul, Saul hears that David is inquiring and he's like, you want to fight him? Then he looks at him, he goes, you can't fight him. 
you're just a boy. You're just a kid. He's been a soldier since he was a kid. You don't have a chance. Logically, that makes sense. But David's response was different. See, David says in verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He goes, I'm not holding on to the promise that the giant is bigger. I'm holding on to the promise that God is with me. When he made a reference to the fact that the Philistine was an uncircumcised Philistine, it was not a vulgar reference. It was not a sexual innuendo of any kind. It was the sign of the covenant. He said, that man does not have a covenant with my God. We are God's covenant people. My God will deliver me. And when he goes to fight the giant, the giant goes, I'm going to kill you. And he goes, I don't come at you with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And he goes, this is my promise. And so fear has no place here. And we can do that. And it might be that the doctor says, hey, six months is your prognosis. And you go, you know what? I can hold on to that or I can hold on to God's word that says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. There, there are so many promises that life gives, but there are so many promises that are in here. And you can pick which one you'll meditate on, but which, the one that you meditate on will produce fruit inside of you. And if the meditation is the promises of this world, expect it to follow with the fruit of anxiety and worry. But if it's the promises of God's word, that says that God will never leave you or forsake you, the promises that says that he's your healer and he's your redeemer, then these things produce peace. These things change things. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Works way better if your Bible's right set up. Philippians four, verse six tells us, um, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then it tells you what to meditate on. And then it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if anything is excellent, anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. He goes, if you'll put your mind on him with thanksgiving, you meditate here, you'll be filled with peace. But most of our world just holds on to the negative. And some of them are professionals. I, I love doctors, but in our society, they are often professional pessimists. And not because that's their nature, but because in our Sue happy society, they're worried that if they don't give you the worst case scenario and something bad happens, that you sue them. So they tell you the worst possible case. And then if things don't go that way, they look like a hero instead of a villain. It's sad, but it's the way that it is. But... So often we get that report and we lay hold of it. And we're like, oh no, I had a headache. And he said it might be a tumor. Yeah, well, technically speaking, I guess it could possibly be, but that's not where you should go with your heart, heart and your hopes. But we, we go through and he says, um, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. In our mind, where we focus will produce fruit. Secondly, 
If I place my hope in me, life is more than I can handle, and that weight will eventually crush me and leave me full of anxiety and worry because something in life will look bigger than me. I don't care how strong you are, how fast, how smart, how good looking, what it is that you've achieved. At some point, you're going to face something that will seem bigger than you. And if your hope is in you, you will be filled with anxiety and worry. It's, but it doesn't have to be. Let me show you a picture or two, three. Okay, so a few years ago, a lot of years ago, I went hiking the Blue Mountains um, just west of Sydney, Australia. And there were some beautiful waterfalls and different things. And so I'm h- hiking up there with a friend and I see this waterfall and get a picture there. And then I'm like, you know what would be cooler? A picture from the top of the waterfall. And if we hike just, just around this corner, there was this little ledge. And if you, I'm like, you know what? I think if I walk across this ledge, there's a tree at the end of this that I could climb. And if I climb the top of that tree, I can get off at the top of the waterfall. And my friend can stand below the waterfall and get a picture with me on the top. It's going to look awesome. However, there's, there's this little, not even like a waterfall, like a water drip that is running across this ledge. And I've experienced that wet rocks can be slippery rocks before. So I'm smart enough not to just put my trust that I'll have a firm grip on wet rocks. So I should put my trust in something else. Now, there were some things growing out of the rock wall there. And I just grabbed a hold of those and figured that those rocks are strong, so it should be good, right? Granted, I wasn't grabbing the rock. I was grabbing something growing out of the rock. Important details as the story goes. But I grabbed those and I step on the wet stuff and I was right. They were slippery. Um, however, I was wrong. And the thing that I put my trust in was not strong and it ripped right out of the wall. And so I ended up coming off, like slipping and like almost like slow-mo, like you pull it out and you're like, no, there go your feet. And you're like, that's in my hand. Like, that's the thing that's supposed to hold me. And then you grab onto like two different things on the bottom once my butt hit and grabbed and I ripped those out of the ground too and down I went. Next picture. This is me down towards the bottom of things. All wet, a little bit banged up. Now, I share those Because the thing that makes you fall isn't what's slippery. It's the thing that you put your hope in. If the thing that I put my hope in had been solid, the fact that the ground was slippery would have made no difference. But because the thing that I put my hope in wasn't secure, then I slipped. When we put our hope in ourselves, then we end up in the spot where we're going to be filled with fear and anxiety. And, and we can look at the difference between several other people and David. But I, I just want you to hold on to that. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Joshua chapter one, verse nine. If you're taking notes, Philippians four, six to eight, and Joshua one, nine. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you will lay hold of his word and his promises, you can place your hope in him. And it's not that that means that circumstances have all disappeared, but it means that your, your rock isn't shaken. And when I say that, I've had people look at me and go, you're just talking about denial. No. 
we went and we looked at some planes taking off and landing the other day with the kids, with some friends, and we were chatting about it. And they're like, isn't it amazing that that massive metal thing flies? Does it deny the existence of gravity? Does it fly by making a a statement, there is no gravity, there is no gravity? No. It flies because it recognizes that thrust and lift overcome gravity. When we do this, we're not saying there is no diagnosis. There is no layoffs. There is no shortages. We're saying thrust and lift overcome gravity. God, your word is greater than my circumstances. Yes, there may have been a promise from the doctor that was ugly, but your word says that by your stripes, I am healed. It says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It says that I am more than a conqueror, that greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. It says that this is my future. It says that I'm redeemed from the curse and that sin and all that it brings doesn't have a hold on me anymore. And I can go over this and I can go not saying that those other things don't exist, but saying that this is more true and they overcome it. So there is this root of fear that happens in our mind. There can be a root of fear that happens in our body. And sometimes people think that they are struggling and it, it manifests as anxiety but what it really is, is empty. Um, I, I remember my wife dealt with some anxiety on a fairly intense level. And it, it started where, when she, I think she was, she was pregnant, she had some kids that were climbing on her, and she just like all of a sudden like was freaking out internally and went through and Turns out it was because there was fluid in her lungs and she was struggling to breathe. So it kind of makes sense that she was freaking out. However, that got healed up. And then she, she said this, she says, but after that healed up, the anxiety started happening again. I would randomly get anxiety for no reason. I didn't have any negative thoughts. So I just prayed against it like it was sickness. But I hated the feeling of dread and danger and tightness in my chest. The Lord led me to taking some whole food vitamins and after a few weeks, the anxiety was gone and didn't return. What she was dealing with wasn't negative thinking. It was literally physically being empty. And we live in a society that promotes busyness as a badge of honor. And there are times where people are going at 150 miles an hour nonstop and their body literally becomes depleted. And they are wondering why they are having physical issues when their body is literally empty. Counselors will often use the, the uh, acronym HALT. Are they hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because there are physical things that can leave you with these symptoms. And sometimes... Uh, sometimes our band-aids are furthering our problem. Talk to people who are so exhausted and worn out, they come home from, from work after a ridiculously long day and they get out the simplest, easiest junk food and turn on the TV. 
and they eat the junk food that does not help their body and they watch the TV and they stay up too late watching something that didn't matter and then they wake up the next morning still exhausted because they didn't get enough sleep because they were watching TV. And then they repeat. There is a principle in God's word that we struggle as a New Testament church. In Mark chapter two, there's this conversation between the Pharisees and Jesus. And in this conversation, they're mad at Jesus because he keeps healing people on the Sabbath. And he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And if I had a lot of time, we could go through and we could dive into the law and we could dive into grace and we could dive into freedom from, and we could look at, there's lots of stuff we could look at. In short, you are not made right with God by doing nothing on some day of the week. But what did he say? The the Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. There was something there that God was said was so important. I made it for you. It was a principle of rest. And there's a lot of people that are running and refusing to rest and then wondering why they're having issues. And some of them are, are, are showing up as anxiety attacks because they have depleted their body to the level where it doesn't have any left. And so it's, it's struggling and it manifests as anxiety. Their adrenals can literally be on empty. Through different physical things, it's what had happened to Amanda. Her adrenals were literally on E. And, and there's, there's a lot that we could go into there. But I want you to understand that there is a mental side and that what we're feeling, what we're meditating on, where we're putting our hope can be a source of our fear. That we can be so drained and empty that we feel the fear. But I want to make sure I have time for the third one. And that is a spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Uh, it goes on in Romans, it says that he, we did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the Bible makes it really clear that there is a spirit of fear. I, I, I read that when I was a kid, didn't get it. I, I, I kind of got it, but I didn't apply it. And then my dad was speaking and he, he told, he shared a message and he talked about how he had been controlled by fear for 20 years and didn't even know it. It wasn't until he crashed a plane and you'll have to hear him tell the story. I'll let him do that another time. But he crashed a plane and he didn't want to fly again because he was petrified and God goes, you got a fear, a spirit of fear. And you've been struggling with fear of failure since second grade. And then God showed him over and over things where God had called him, things that that were opportunities for him that he had turned down and he had run from out of fear. And God dealt with it and he got delivered. And I heard that, I'm like, sweet, cool. My dad got set free, glad he got set free. The fact that it might be affecting me, right over my head. I went to college and 
And God put on my heart that I was supposed to communicate. Like this is, this is part of why he made me. But I was afraid, like I'd love to talk to one person one-on-one, but when you put me in front of a crowd, I was like, or just like, just talk in front of class or to lead a small group with a dozen high schoolers. I was petrified. Like my stomach would try to crawl out my throat, kind of petrified. Knees doing this number. It's just not very conducive to what I felt like God's call was on my life. But my professor was talking and he talked about how he was called to speak and that he couldn't because of fear. And his wife had called him out on a spirit of fear and prayed for him and he got set free. And when he said that, all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. He said that? And I remember dad's message. And I'm like, oh, light bulb. Maybe the thing trying to stop me from fulfilling the call of God on my life is the spirit of fear. Huh. So that night we had small group. And so I went over to small group. I went over to Tim, who's now my brother-in-law. This is before, that, before he met my sister. I'm like, hey, hey, Tim. Do you remember uh, in class today, Robert talked about a spirit of fear? He's like, yeah. He said, I think I might have one of those. He's like, oh, can you pray for me? He's like, yeah. And he prayed for me. And you know what I felt? Nothing. I was really hoping for like warm fuzzies or like tingles, like all through your body. Like, woohoo, yeah, God touched me. I'm free. Like, that would have been great, but I got nothing. But something happened. And it's amazing because we can get hung up on this. Well, can a Christian have a demon? Can a Christian be affected by an evil spirit? And the, the wording that we use can paint pictures where people can have theological arguments. Forget the wording that's used. I was a Christian being influenced by a spirit of fear. And he prayed for me. And when I, uh, about a month or two later, I came home for uh, their summer break, our Christmas break, it's kind of weird, opposite seasons. But when I got home, my dad welcomed me. He's like, hey, you're preaching in Bay City on Wednesday. I'm like, oh, great. Like the church, the youth group, what are we talking? He goes, I don't know. Call the pastor and find out. I'm like, all right. And so I, I called up and uh, it was the youth pastor who's like, hey, yeah, I'd heard that you were coming back from Bible school. I wondered if you wanted to come over and share with the youth. And I'm like, awesome. But I expected the same gut-wrenching, life-controlling fear. And I, I got there and I had some like, hey, I'm a little bit nervous. There's some butterflies. But the fear was gone. And that started something. I have seen countless people set free from a spirit of fear. And it's been things where, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to go on stage. I, 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 I physically can't. To, hey, I'm having night terrors. To, like, all of these different things where, where they're struggling because there's areas of life that are being controlled or being shut down by fear. And, and they got set free. In fact, my wife, um, I remember... I was re-roofing our house because it needed to be done and it was too expensive to pay somebody else. And so I'm, I'm on the roof and she came up to help me one day, but she was not just like afraid of heights. Like there is a healthy respect for heights. Like if you stand at the edge of something tall and look off, your stomach should jump a little bit. That's supposed to keep you from falling and keep you safe. 
But there's a level where it can go from healthy to there's a problem. And she was, there's a problem. And so she got up on my roof and there's a roof. There's like a section of my roof that's really not steep. And she was on that and she's like determined to help me, but she was so petrified. She was like clinging to the roof and like, just like, and I'm like, can you hand me a shingle? Yeah. And like, you know, notice there, there's, there's no like pass it, one hand on the ground at all times. Like she needs at least three limbs touching down, petrified. And the realization that this may be a spirit came over and we prayed. And shortly thereafter, I'm like, hey, can you get me a shingle? And she's like, oh yeah, hands me a shingle. And then she was like, I just stood up. I just, like, she didn't want to go looking over the edge or anything, but she was like, the, the fear that controlled me and limited me was gone. Now, I want to thank you for being with us today, but I want to ask you a question before we close. I want to ask if you're right with God. You know, some of us, we, we'd live for God at one point, but we've drifted away from God. In others, you don't know where you stand with God. But the Bible says this. It says, know that you have everlasting life. We're not supposed to die and find out if we make it to heaven. We're supposed to know now that we're forgiven, right with God, and on our way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. So if you're that person who's away from God, or you're the person who says, I don't know where I stand with God, or I want to be right with God, I want to pray a prayer with you. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And if you pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You are going to be saved. You are going to be on your way to heaven. I want you to make these words your own. Just say this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king. Jesus is my Lord. And I will live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, a part of your family, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer from your heart, please, please, I wrote a book that'll help you keep on growing spiritually. And I want to give you that book absolutely free of charge. If you just pray that prayer with Pastor Duane, you are making one of the best decisions of your life and we're so excited for you. Just as Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv or check out our app to have a copy mailed to you. Download it right there instantly or listen to the new audio version. It's absolutely free and a great resource for you to have. There are so many ways to give during the holiday season, but if Walking by Faith has been a blessing to you, we'd like to give you an opportunity to give back and help us change lives with the truth of God's Word. To give back, check out the Give tab on our app or walkingbyfaith.tv. Please take a moment to make a year-end gift. 100% of your gift will be used to spread the gospel all around the world. We'd love to connect with you. Here at Walking by Faith, we believe in the power of prayer. We have people standing by ready to pray with you. 
Scan the code on your screen to send us a prayer request or visit walkingbyfaith.tv to chat with someone today. We pray that if you struggle with fear and anxiety, you are able to overcome it. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Have a blessed week.